I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. and you might have already turned off your brain. Um, I'm just going to to invite you to open up and breathe for a second and know that you trust Michelle, you trust this church, and um, whatever you are feeling towards that sermon title, I'm going to let you just leave it, like just throw it away (laughs) as we read our scripture. In Matthew 6, we have, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your lifespan? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what will I eat or what will I drink or what will I wear? For it is in the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. 
This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So we are starting a sermon series today um, entitled Midterms, um, and because the midterms give us a whole lot of anxiety. And when I'm talking about the midterms, I'm not talking about um, the ones that populate political ads, and I'm not talking about the ones um, that lead you to the polls, although it was a really good name for the series, and so we, you know, we really like to be clever sometimes. I thought it was, thought, I thought it was clever. Y'all are not laughing, okay. Um, so, so, um, so we're, we're, we're instead talking about the month-to-month year-to-year, season-of-life-to-season-of-life kind of midterms, which I hear you always talking about, always. Between college and the, and the job you had in mind that you're not yet in and you're wondering when you're going to be in it, between um, wanting kids and, and having kids, whatever that means for you, between paying the bills and saving for the future or living pay, pay, paycheck to paycheck and saving for the future, between career and retirement, that's another conversation I hear between sickness and health or life and death, too. Between, and, then, and then we're at Kingstown, between the church that we're in being a place that just started and the church that we're in being self-sufficient and independent and on its own. We live from one big step to the next. That's how we live our lives. But where in the living our lives from one big step to the next, where is God in the middle of that? is the question, between where we are and where we want to be, and even more so between who we are and who God is calling us to be. Earlier this week, or a couple weeks ago, I saw on Twitter, not Twitter, I'm not on Twitter, Instagram, that's what I meant to say, I saw on Instagram a picture of someone from our church, Um, it was a picture, and they created a a board um, of their life and where they want to go. Uh, all the very, and there was like children and, and uh, faith and, and like family and job and school. And, and it's, it was like, it was like they, they cut things out of magazines or, or made it pretty. And it was like a poster that they put up in their house of all the various their aspirations. And on that poster, I was really grateful to see, as you know, their pastor, um, that on that poster was growing in faith which I don't know if very many of us would actually put on our poster. I wonder. I just think, I shout out to the, that, that couple. Yeah. A couple that is actually discerning whether they want to be members in this church. And I don't know if you know this, but we have in 2018 had 17 people join our church thus far, which is fantastic, and many more are interested in joining. Uh, and when people join the church, we ask them, we, we ask them a question. And we say, do you pledge your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness. And they say yes. And also on November 18th, we have Friendsgiving, but you all have received some correspondence from me in the mail. On November 18th, you will receive more correspondence from me this week. It is the normal week every year when we decide in ourselves and in our families whether we're willing to pledge our prayers our gifts, our service, our witness to the church. And we have a card that we send you, and we ask you if, you if you might put that in the offering plate on the 18th or sometime after that. Just so you know, um, I want to be really transparent. Just so you know, when we talk about gifts in that list, that's church people lingo for money. It is. We would love to say, I think people probably have told you, that we mean like your talents. Well, that's what we, we could put that in other categories. 
when we say gifts, we mean your money because the church doesn't function without them. It's on, we're honest about that. We cannot exist without them. Is it awkward in here? How does it feel? Are we good? Oh, Naomi's giving me like, she's like, you go for it, girl. You do this. <laughs> All right. Just gonna, we, we don't want to cut that. Like, I shouldn't be able to cut that silence with, with a knife. I think y'all, are, y- y'all have trusted me. Every time we talk about money, though, um, every time it comes up in the church, I think, I think of Flaubert, who said, of all the winds that blow across love, the coldest is the request for money. So we spend a lot of time in our church talking about love. We tell you that God loves you, God loves us, God loves the world, and we're, we're called to think about that and to ponder that and to live life in, in light of that. And we preach about love and we read about love and we practice love and we ingest it. It's all about love all year long. And then we seem to show up in this time of year and we start to talk about money. And it's like you can watch that cold wind blow <laughs> over those embers that had been kindled all year long, right? And those embers turn dark. <laughs> which is why it's always interesting to me that Jesus insists on talking about money. He's supposed to be God's love made flesh, and he continually, he continually doesn't warm our hearts with talk of love as much as he brings up the cold subject of money. Our gospel reading today is, is kind of heartwarming. We love, we love when Jesus tells us not to worry. <laughs> we love when Jesus tells us, do not fear, we love that. We love when Jesus tells us that he loves us. I read that text because I thought it was a nice way to, uh, to begin this topic because don't worry. Don't worry about the clothes that are on, on your back. Don't worry about what you will eat. Don't worry about the future. And then I say all the other scriptures from Jesus are not nearly that nice when it comes to money. Not nearly. So here, here's one. <laughs> a young man stuck in the midterms of life between who he is and who he wants to be, runs up to Jesus eagerly. He's maybe 25 years old and says, Jesus, what, what must I do to get in on what you're doing? What must I do to reach that place that my heart longs to be with you, Jesus? What must I do? And Jesus says, look, kid, your parents coughed up the money for your private education. You know what you're supposed to do. This kid had been trained in, in the Jewish law. Read the book. You know what the deal is? Keep the commandments, Jesus says. Keep the commandments. That's what you are to do. And the young kids, 25, that's only like six years younger than me. Okay, so the young guy <laughs> says, but, but which one, Lord? There's so many commandments to pay attention to. I, I, I need to know the thing, the one thing, that one next tangible step that I can take that will propel me into the place that I long to be. And Jesus says, you know what these commandments are. Love your mom and dad. Don't steal. Don't lie. You know the commandments. And then a, a smile comes across his face. And he says, well, this is great. Jesus, I've done all of those things. But then, then the smile turns a bit. And his brow furrows. And he says, I've done all those things. All those things. All those commandments. But I still feel stuck in the middle. I still feel like I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I still feel like I'm, I'm not where God is calling me to be. And Jesus looks at him, and it says Jesus loved him. And then he says, now great, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you can feel that ice cold wind blow across that scene. And the guy drops his head and he walks away. And, and Jesus turns to his disciples and says, I tell you what, 
there are just some people that won't save themselves. No colder wind <laughs> blows across love than the request for money or the conversation of money. So why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus be so cold-hearted, so crass, to bring up the subject of money when this kid feels stuck in life's middle and desperately wants to get to where God would have him be? Why not commend this guy? Why not, why not, why not pat him on the back and say, I am so pleased with you? Why not build him up? He, he, he's observing all the commandments. Why in the world would Jesus be so cold? Maybe for no other reason than this. That money, more than anything else in the world, tells the truth about who we are. Money tells some of the best stories of humanity. We all know what it feels like to, to, to be proud of pooling our resources together for something beautiful, like earthquakes and tsunamis and, and local tragedies. Chris and I have a family friend who, who's five-year-old, uh, has a brain tumor, and every year they have a 5K, um, and they raise money, and, and, and everyone gives to it, and, and, and it helps dozens of kids, and it feels good. It feels so good to give to that. But money also tells us some of the worst tales of who we are, too, and we know that, and that's why you feel the cold wind blow. Political payoffs and church scandals and for-profit prisons, you know these stories as well all the way down to those petty little stories about you and me that, that we'd rather not anybody know about. Money more than anything else tells the truth about who we are. And when money is laid at the feet of Jesus, it becomes a means of revelation for us. It becomes a means of prying, prying us away from those places we're stuck in the middle. And so really for the rest of the morning, here's what I'd like to do. I, I want us to speak truthfully plainly, frankly, about, uh, about the topic of money. And you, you may not be used to this in church. <laughs> it, it, if you've been coming to Kingstown, you're probably not used to it because if you know anything about me, you know how excruciating what I'm saying is right now for me. Um, I am so guilty of not talking about money here, so guilty, because um, often at church, we just, we just dance around the subject, and we don't really speak frankly or directly about it, and it begins to sound like an NPR fall fun drive every November, and we throw up on the screen pie charts, and we say, look, if you enjoy the programming here, please give. Next year, we need it. And ushers are standing by. <laughs> uh, or you've been to a church that's done that. And, um, but the fact is that the body of Christ has a completely di diminished imagination theologically about money. We, we don't like to talk about money theologically. And the other fact is that I know that there is no one I've ever met who doesn't want to know how to relate more faithfully to their money. Everybody wants to know that, but they don't want the church to talk about it, which is a really strange thing. Whether you're strapped by debt or, or you're barely keeping, keeping up with your bills or you're, you're, you're comfortable and, and looking at the future or you have more money than you know what to do with, Whatever it is, you, you want to know how to, to use that money well. I know you do. I've not met anybody who doesn't. And I know, that, I know this also because you ask me questions all the time about this. But you always ask me questions like this in places or situations where I can't give a full answer. And so I feel like for the first time I should give a full answer. All right? So you ask me a common table normally like as we're walking in and out. And here's what I normally hear you say. Hey, Michelle, isn't it true that tithing actually isn't in the Bible? I hear that one all the time. Uh, 
hey, uh, isn't it just something that was made up by the church as it grew to pay for itself? Uh, I hear that. Um, hey, Michelle, isn't it true that Jesus never talked about tithing? I hear that a lot. Um, hey, Michelle, I really like the way your church doesn't talk about money. I hate that one. Um, and, uh, and then, hey, Michelle, um, I really like that your church doesn't talk about money because it makes me really uncomfortable. Or um, I like how you make space for people who don't want to hear you talk about money. All, those, all of those various pieces have come in. And so, so today, as we kick off midterms, as, as we have um, a scheduled town hall after worship about what it means for our church to, um, to be stuck in this midterm here, between who we are and who God has called us to be. Let's talk about money. Um, I figured we would do it um, in this way. Two truths and a lie. The first truth, tithing is rooted in Scripture. You hate the word tithing, I know. I don't like it either. Uh, but that's your question. You keep asking me, so I'm going to answer it. Um, tithing is rooted in Scripture. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament. So let me tell you what it was in the Old Testament and then tell you a little bit more about what I think about it. It goes back to the Old Testament and Leviticus, and here's how it went down for them. Um, here's the practice. Everyone who was a part of the nation of Israel, this covenantal community of Israel, practiced this thing called tithing. The word meant tenth, as many of you know. Everybody who, who was a Jew would give 10% of their first fruits to the temple or to the synagogue. If you were an ag agrarian, um, if you lived an agrarian life, you would give fruit. If you lived um, a life where you traded livestock, you would give 10% of your livestock. If you were benefited with gold and silver, you would give 10% of that. It was 10% of however your household economics were ordered. In the first 10% 10, 10 these first fruits were pulled together in this household to care for the larger community and to build God's kingdom on earth. That's the practice of tithing for, for the Israelites. And everybody's micro household came together in the same way this, to, to give to the macro household. It is a little bit like taxes, yes. Um, and, and that was called a tithe for them. Your offerings to God was 10%. What did they do with the money? Well, if you read scripture, you see that God says they were faithful with the money, and you see that God says they were not faithful with the money. Sometimes they were really unfaithful with the money. But, but what was supposed to be done with the money was to help those who spent their entire life, who spent their entire life in the temple. So priests, they were supposed to help pay for a priest's life in the temple. It also, it, it cared for orphans and, and for widows, and it cared for the creation around them, and it also cared for the infrastructure as it grew in the church. It became this common communal purse, this common communal purse that the community of God used to build God's kingdom on earth, and it, it, it all came from this notion of tithing. The early Christians picked this up. They did, and they continued it on for a little while, a little while. And that's where the practice comes from, this word that the church likes to use and nobody likes anymore. And I clarify that because you have so many questions about it, and I clarify it because I want to be faithful to the biblical witness as someone who stands before you as a biblical scholar. I cannot tell you that tithing is not in the Bible. It would be a lie. It would be a lie. And I clarify that because for some of you, that might just be, that might just be the first step between who you are and who God is calling you to be. That might be important to you. I do not want to denounce that. It's important. There are plenty of people who attend church who were taught all their lives that you give your first fruits to God. And I don't want to tear that away from anybody. So that might be the most important step you know to make. I'll also clarify this because I need to be honest with you all about me and where we are. Chris and I are not tithing. Honesty. 
oh no, what are we doing? What's going on? Oh, I can't, I can't imagine it. Um, so when I graduated from college, my aunt sat me down. Sat, it was like when I was in one of those midterms in life, my aunt sat me down and, uh, with Chris. Uh, we were just getting married, and she said, uh, here, I need to have a very difficult conversation with you all, and I feel like I owe it to you now when you're only 21. You need to know this now. Um, I recommend that you start giving to the church in however amount you can and start working your way towards that 10%. And we hated that she told us this, and Chris thought it was such an imposition. Oh my gosh, can you imagine? Chris is just like, how dare your aunt tell us what to do with our money? How dare she? She's, but she loves us, and, and she's always been a little bit like push her way into your life kind of person, which is great. I mean, I need that per everybody needs that person. Um, and so we actually started working from the time I was like 21, graduated college, we started working towards that. We thought it was really important. Um, and we got to a place on a two-teacher income where we were giving 10% of our income to the church. And then I sensed this call into ministry, and I went to a place called Duke, and I graduated from a place called Duke, and now I have gigantic student loan payments, huge student loan payments. <laughs> and um, I live now in a place called Northern Virginia, and so you put together the Northern Virginia and the gigantic student loan payments um, and stupid decisions we made over time. How many of you have made stupid money decisions? How many? Please, thank you. Right, good. All right, so and some other stupid decisions over time that we've made. You add all those together, and no, we can't make right now work. Can't make 10% work. Um, we do, so, and I'll be honest, we do something like eight-ish, um, but we can't make, and we desperately want to. And so I just wanted to be honest with you, we don't make it work. Take down all of the, like, the feelings about the tithing thing. Like, strip that down, like, breathe for a second, breathe for a second. And you baby, it may not be anywhere close to, to 8% or whatever, or you may, that may sound, but all I'm saying is, the person who stands up here says, I don't do it. So please feel, feel that for what it is. But we want to, and so we're trying to make, gestures in our life, trying to simplify, trying to pay off car loans, trying to do those things with the intent up ahead that that might be something we do one day. Because for me, for me, that is the difference between who I am and where I want to be. For me, I want to be there. So the Bible does say that tithing is a thing, the first truth. The second truth, tithing is not enough for Jesus. I thought, I think you thought I was going to say Jesus doesn't talk about tithing. Um, Jesus, uh, totally different. Tithing's not enough for him. He doesn't talk, well, he kind of doesn't talk about it, but then he also does talk about it. Um, <laughs> did you hear the gospel reading this morning? That, well, the one I talked about just now? So, so you get to the New Testament, and there's this greedy picture of Jesus, that he wants everything of yours, everything. Jesus doesn't stop <laughs> at 10% and just skim 10% off the top. Jesus is grubbing for all of you in the New Testament. Now, let me be clear, that does not mean that you give 100% of your income to the church. That would be stupid. <laughs> like, it, it does mean that you begin to see everything in your life through the light of your baptism. What if you saw, what if you saw everything in your life through the light of your baptism, which takes all of you, which washes over you and, and claims every ounce of you? What, what if you saw your apartment and your house, or your house, or your rent payment, or your mortgage payment as an offering not to the bank, but as an offering to God. How might God use your space 
to further God's kingdom? Could you build community with your neighbors? Could you open your house to a, for a common table? Could you create space for, for youth gathering for our first confirmation class ever at your home? How could God use your home even as an offering before God? This is what Jesus wants. Same thing as your, with your car. How could you use your car? Could you, could you carpool a bunch of people into D.C. To, to serve a meal to the homeless? What if it wasn't just a car payment? What if all your bills are not just a means to your own comfort, but an invitation to build the kingdom of God? God's grubbing for everything in the New Testament. The two truths, yes, the Bible does talk about tithing. I'd be lying to you if I said it didn't. And two, Jesus doesn't talk about tithing, but he asks for even more than 10%. And finally, the lie. The lie is that the church is always grubbing after your money. I had coffee with a woman the other day who said she loved our church. She had been listening to our podcast for a long time and not like couldn't get up the courage to show up here, but she, she had been listening along. And she's like, I love what you're doing at Kingstown. It's so great. But I also know what a, like an entrepreneurial venture is like, and I know you need money, and I have none. And so like, I don't, I don't what, could, what, what good could I be for church? And I was like, I'm not grubbing after your money. I'm grubbing after you. God's not grubbing after your money. God is grubbing after you. God says, God says that to you. <laughs> Everything you have, all of your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. But, but God also knows that where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And I know that you've heard that a million times, but it's not a cliche. The invitation to order your household in, in a like manner with your brother and sisters to pull your resources together, to use everything at your disposal to help build the kingdom of God, to, to unstick yourself from the midterm of being where you are and where you want to be, this is the way that leads to life. The Didache, which is a little bit older than many of the, the, um, the Jewish texts, um, it's one of the oldest teachings we have, uh, says that, that there are two paths, and one road leads to life and one road leads to death, and let's speak of the way that leads to life. And I have to be honest, the way that leads to life is a life of stewardship, of seeing all that you have as God's. The way that leads to death is isolated consumerism and a mindset of scarcity, which may be the two extremes we have here. Or the way that leads to death is just, I don't know where you are on those, that spectrum. Maybe, maybe it's this isolated consumerism place. Maybe you're in the place where you spend a whole lot of money on things you shouldn't be spending money on. Maybe, maybe that's what you do. And that's, I mean, I, I know that world. Maybe you're in the place where you look at your life and your, your budget and where you are and you go, I don't, do not have enough for anything. I never feel like I have enough. Everything is scarce. And living out of fear and scarcity is also not the way to lead the life. Or maybe, maybe you're somewhere in the middle. I can't say it more plain. The kingdom of God is at hand, and the way that leads to life is stewarding that life well. And it's just that easy, and it's just that hard. It's really hard, I know. And all of the winds that blow upon love, this one is the coldest one for sure. But it's the gospel, and I felt like I owed it to you all. <laughs> I owed it to you all to give, to just to lay it out. And also know I, um, I, I'm grateful for you trusting me to be able to do that, because I know that money is the last thing you want to hear at church. Would you pray with me? God, we know that you are not grubbing 
after our money. You are grubbing after us. You want all of who we are to serve you. And we follow your commandments. We show up here to church. We offer our presence. We love people. We, we try really, really hard not to lie and to steal and to, to treat people with compassion and generosity. And, and we try all these things. And we say, look, with a smile on our face, God, we're doing it all. And you look at all that and you say, but where's your treasure? And then that cold wind blows over all of the things we thought, how, all the ways we thought we were faithful. And I know that I am not giving as much as I could give, but you offer me grace and love. I know that I spend my money on things I should not be spending my money on. And I feel the guilt of that a lot of times when I buy a too expensive bottle of wine or <laughs> go on a vacation and you give me grace and you love me, and you say, <laughs> that guilt is not of me. But God, I also know that, that I desire more than anything to order my household, to order my whole being to your will and to your way. And so teach me, God, how you would have me do that. Lead me, Jesus. We join together in that prayer that you taught us to pray, where we, we ask you for, for daily bread, not more than we need, but not less than we need. Daily sustenance. May we offer that back to you as we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Between the hot and the cold. Between the new.